Again, I want to welcome each of you to our gathering today. If I don't know you, uh, my name is Kyle. I'm one of the pastors here. I uh, mean, I'm glad that you're gathering with us. Uh, but as we settle in, go ahead. You can open your Bibles if you have them. We are starting a new series uh, through uh, Colossians. Uh, if you don't know where Colossians is, it's in the New Testament. Uh, after Philippians, before Philemon. Uh, if you don't know where that is, it's okay. You have a table of contents in your Bible. You can look there. Uh, or just look through your phone. Uh, and you can find it there as well. But we are kicking off a new series entitled Christ Is. And so, uh, man, in that regard, as we think about that, man, something we want to do each and every Sunday is we want to celebrate who Christ is. Uh, and so that's man, what we're about. That's what we're after. I shared it last week, man. While we celebrate Easter Sunday, we celebrate the resurrection each and every day of our lives. If you're a follower of Jesus. Uh, but along with that, man, we have been brought into God's family. And so we know that and we already saw some of that this morning with new partners that we want to celebrate that. But also we want to celebrate, man, the lives of people. And so if your birthday's on a Sunday, uh, you're going to get called out. And so, uh, man, today, Chris Sabanos, uh, it is his birthday. Um, and so I, I made it a point not to say anything when I walked in. He even mentioned something. And I just kind of ignored him. He was like, how does it feel? How do you feel about getting closer to 40 rather than 30? And I didn't even I'd be like, whatever, man. Uh, but man, Chris, we are grateful for you, grateful for your life and uh, man, what Jesus has done in your life. And so, um, yeah, happy birthday, Chris. Uh, but hey, let's jump in. Um, and uh, begin our time in this way. So uh, from time to time, we have some interaction, do we not? So I want to go ahead and prepare you for that. You can go ahead and just start preparing your heart, uh, preparing your vocal cords uh, for that interaction. Uh, and so I want to begin our time uh, really by getting some response to the very title of this series. This series we entitled Christ is and, and the reason I want to get some feedback from y'all is because, man, I believe that the way that we answer that question or answer that phrase uh, presents us not only, uh, man, it doesn't only tell us a lot about uh, what we believe ab- about the gospel and how we view the gospel, but, man, I believe the way that we answer who Christ is, man, it, it, it tells us or it, it, a lot about how we live in light of the gospel, Right? And so I'm going to give you five seconds just to think about who Christ is. And then I'm going to ask, I'm going to say Christ is, and then you're going to fill in the blank. One word, two words. We don't, we already have one sermon today. Okay. We don't need, uh, we don't need you to just expound on that, but just man, give me one or two words on who Christ is. Okay. You just got more than five seconds. So, uh, Christ is Lord, Son, Savior, Prince of Peace. Man, this is good, right? Like, it's the most participation ever, like even more than raising hands. Usually that takes three or four times and uh, we finally get that. But yeah, man, he is Lord. He's Savior. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the Son. He's our Savior, right? So, man, we answer that. And those are really good answers. Those are needed answers. Very biblical answers, right? You see, the reason I ask that and the reason I believe that it's important that we answer that correctly and not only answer it correctly, but we live in light of it in the way that God calls us to live in light of who Christ is, is because, man, uh, you know, uh, everything around us is trying to answer that question, is it not? 
Maybe, maybe not necessarily who Christ is, although I believe that, man, the, the world around us, and even it infiltrates the church in poor ways, in unbiblical ways, that they answer it wrongly. But, man, people are just trying to tell you who God is and what does it mean to have fulfillment in life. And you're constantly being bombarded with a variety of answers, most of which are wrong. There's a lot of wrestling in terms of who Christ is. There's arguing about, man, since Jesus has been here, man, even before, like, what is it? What is the Messiah going to be like? What is He going to look like? What is He going to do? And so there's a lot of opposition. And so, man, when we think about, you know, some people, like, they say, well, is, it's more of a question than it is a statement. Is Christ enough? Is He enough to really save? Is Christ the only way, Right? Is He truly God who put on flesh? Man, is Jesus worthy of our worship? There's examples of this all over the place. So one thing that I'm not proud of is uh, right after high school, they have have this place called a mall. I don't know if you've been there lately. There's not much in there anymore. Uh, But they had malls. And in malls, they had store. They had a store called Journeys. I think they still have it. And there was another one called Spencer's that I don't recommend going in. Uh, but they had, I don't know which store it was, but they had a shirt on display one day when I walked by. And it was the, of a man that had long hair and a beard and a big smile on his face. And his thumbs were up like this. I think it was one thumb maybe. And, and all it said above his head was Jesus. And then below it, it said, is my homeboy. Right? So they, in answering the question, Christ is, it was, Christ is my homeboy, man. Uh, again, I'm not proud of this, but right after high school, I remember walking by and seeing that, and I was like, oh, that's my Jesus. And I went and bought, and I wore that shirt around, right? I, I, probably one of the worst things I've worn, and I've worn a lot of really bad things, okay? And so, uh, you know, uh, eighth grade was a really rough year for Kyle Ogle. Uh, and so uh, I remember seeing that, and man, I was like, that's it. You see, the thing about it is that that's a poor answer to who Christ is. Guess what? Jesus is not your homeboy. He's the Lord of all. He is the risen Savior. He's the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. And yet, for me, and I think, man, for culture, and even church culture, we can get a really shallow answer when it comes to who Christ is. Maybe for you, it's, well, He's just a helper. Just when I need Him, though. I got it the rest of the time, but when I'm really desperate, Christ is my Savior. He's the one that rescues me. Maybe Christ is the one that gives me things. He makes me healthy. For some, Jesus is just part of the buffet, right? This happens even in church culture where we take the parts of Jesus that we like or the parts of church that we like and we maybe mix in a little Jesus with, with a, a, a little bit of karma or a little bit of, uh, you know, Buddhism or, uh, man, even Islam or, man, there, there's some that, you know, they, they believe like if you do enough that you can even be a God one day on your own planet, right? Like that Jesus was this model that hopefully you can get there and be that. You see, the thing about this, and the reason it's so important for us to uh, answer this question is because the issue that we're going to see Paul arguing against through this letter is that, man, in a lost and broken world, the enemy is going to do everything possible to make us doubt who Jesus is and what He's done for all of creation through His life, death, and resurrection. 
And so again, the way we answer this question matters, not simply in terms of how we view our relationships, first and foremost, our relationship to God and how we view Jesus. But man, it matters in terms of our lives as worshipers, as disciple makers, and as proclaimers of the gospel. Guess what? You are also, the word gospel, like just simply defined, means good news. And in life, you are always proclaiming some type of news. But is it news that proclaims the finished work of Christ as being sufficient and supreme? Because that's the only good news. And if He is, and I believe that He is, man, that changes everything. Because guess what? That actually makes things matter. And guess what? If Jesus isn't that, then it actually changes everything because nothing matters. Paul would say, man, if Christ... It was not crucified. And if, if, if that's all fake and false and a lie, man, we should be pitied the most. And so, man, my prayer for this series is that we would grow in our understanding of who Christ truly is, what He has done, and how His sovereign sufficiency, which is seen through the Gospel, both informs and empowers the whole of our lives. And so this is what's being wrestled with at the church in Colossae. And so let's begin looking at Colossians chapter 1. We're going to, look at, we're going to begin with Paul's introduction in verses 1 and 2. It says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, to the saints and faith, faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Alright, so what we find is that Paul, who is an apostle of Jesus... Likely at this moment of the writing is imprisoned. He is writing to a young church in the town of Colossae. Now for reference, this town, which used to be a big city and was really important, but by this time they, they say it was likely just kind of a smaller town. It was about 80 miles from Ephesus. But nonetheless, Paul is writing to this church, this group of young Christians that, that, that really, that this church probably came about during Paul's uh, two-year missionary journey to Ephesus where uh, Epaphras, that, that we're going to see later in the text, he becomes a believer and he goes to Colossae and he begins to proclaim the gospel. And then by God's grace, people believe and come to faith. And then a church is established. And so something of note, even from the beginning, Paul's in prison, he's dealing with all that he's dealing with. And aside from his time in Ephesus, man, he has no real relational connection to this group of believers, but he still cares deeply about them. And he also cares deeply about the major issue that they face. And so what was the issue? Like, why write this letter? Well, what we find from the letter, and really Paul's argument, is that a group of false teachers had come to Colossae and they had started teaching heresies regarding the deity and sufficiency of Christ. And so their answer in coming was that, uh, to, to, their answer to who Christ is was that while He might get you started in your faith, if you really want to have true faith, if you really want to know, you need the addition of a form of Judeo-Christian mysticism that really what it probably consisted of is legalistic practices from Jewish culture, probably maybe even similar to what Paul's wrestling with in Galatians, right? Where they're saying, hey, it's okay to follow Jesus, but you need to add, the, the, you need to add circumcision onto that. You need to add the food laws onto that. 
But then along with this, they're also calling them to some practices of Eastern mysticism, to astrology and even elements of Christianity. Then he goes back, they're saying, hey, Jesus is good, but to really know there's all these other things that are amazing, you should know about them too, and kind of put them all together, and then you'll be where you need to be. And so the goal of this letter, the goal of Paul writing this letter so that he might proclaim Christ as both the head of all creation and the head of the church. So he begins, after introducing himself, he says to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ. You see, Paul, in beginning this letter, he, man, from the start, although it's not as intense as it is in Galatians, he's already saying, I'm going to start building my argument now for who you are and who Jesus is. And so he begins by establishing, he says, you are saints and brothers and sisters in Christ, right? So he says, you are saints, like this is who you are, this is where your identity resides, but then he adds on to that the source of how that happens. Because it's not like you didn't make yourself saints. You, you didn't make yourself, like you didn't just walk in and say, hey, I'm a brother or sister, right? No, what it is, is we are in Christ, Paul says. You see, to be in Christ, actually, it it changes everything about those first few statements. You see, being in Christ defines them not simply in terms of something believed, but something that expresses that they have literally been brought into something. This is more than fandom. This is more than uh, Bible Belt hey, I'm a Christian because my family's always been a Christian. This is more than, I, I, I'm a Christian because I just, I, you, that's just what good people do. No, this is, Paul is making a statement saying, hey, you didn't make yourself that. You've been brought in because of Jesus. You have fellowship with Christ, and because you have fellowship with Christ, you have fellowship with the saints, with the church. I mean, that's a big deal because that's a defining mark. I mean, just think about it. If you, if you read through, uh, man, the New Testament, like all the words that are used uh, that show just the transition of the Gospel in the life of a person. It says that you were dead and then what? You're made alive. Did you make yourself alive? No, in Christ you're made alive. It says that we were enslaved, but now we have been freed from our trespasses and sins because of what Jesus has done. You were once an orphan, but now you were an adopted, what? Child of God. You, you were laid bare and you were naked in your sin and shame. And what does Jesus do? He clothes you in His righteousness. You are brought in. In saying these things, Paul from the start is saying, hey, above all what everybody else is telling you, this is who you are in Christ. As I was reading about this, something neat that I saw is as they began to, uh, archaeologists began to dig around in Rome, they found a bunch of catacombs. And in these catacombs, Haley and I actually got to go to them when we were in Rome one time. Uh, and you're walking through just all these things and, and you see all this stuff. And, and yet, uh, what the writer says is that archaeologists found that there were a lot of unnamed catacombs. They didn't have names on them, but, but all they had was a, a, the simple script that said, in Christo, in Christ, right? 
That, that's who they are. Because guess what? Uh, like, he tells us who we are. And, and what that does is that testifies that they are known, that we are known by the name above all names. We are in Christ. And then Paul moves on to his typical, or what is kind of his typical greeting. He says, grace and peace to you. So he says, here's who you are in Christ. Therefore, remember or celebrate the work of God's grace. He's celebrating the work that God has done in their lives through their salvation, their understanding of the gospel. Again, he's already setting up his opposition to the false teachers. And then we see that it's by grace that we see peace or the shalom of God follows. Because guess what? The grace of God's work must always proceed for peace to be present. You see, without God's grace, there is no real peace for us. So Paul lays out this general introduction and greeting, and then he moves on. And so let's look at verses 3 through 8, where he, he begins this uh, expounding upon his prayer for these saints and brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is what he says. He says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Alright, so while Paul, and what we see him moving into, while he doesn't have a personal relationship uh, with those to whom he writes, and Paul is thankful and excited about the work of God that's taking place in their midst. And so he begins by telling him that they continually thank God for them in their prayers. But, but it, what, notice what he says. He, he, he doesn't say, hey, we, I'm coming here just to solely thank you for all you've done. No, he says, I'm thanking God. That is the source of his thanksgiving. He's thanking God that God would reveal to them the reason for their thanksgiving. And then what follows is really this triad that's found throughout Scripture, uh, and Paul lays out where Paul lays out what that they, what he's thanking God for in terms of this church. And he says he's thanking them for three things. He thanks them, thanks God for their faith, for their love, and for their hope. And so let's just work through these three areas of thankfulness. First, he thanks God for their faith in Christ. You see, without faith, there is no life. But again, look at the object of faith. It's in Christ alone. Again, grounds, Paul, again, he's already, he's laying the ground. He's saying, no, it's in Christ. It's in Christ alone. There's nothing else, right? You don't need to add anything to it. You, you just need to know Christ and Christ crucified. You see, it's not that our faith is of how our life and action responds in faith. You see, even the faith we have is by grace and grace alone. I love John Patton, when he was translating this word for faith and belief, he, the way he kind of described it, he says, it, it, it means that you would lean your whole weight upon and trust whatever you're leaning your whole weight upon to sustain, to hold, and to give you life. 
You see, this isn't some type of parachute faith. Which I think in the church, like at times, like it's just like, hey, if you're going to have faith, you just, you just get that parachute on and you just jump out the airplane. Guess what? Like, the amazing thing is, is that the gospel is way better than a parachute. Because guess what? Sometimes parachutes don't open. And, and so even when you put it on, you're, you're hoping that it might open. The gospel's not like that. You can lean your whole self into it. You, you, you can jump and, and, and you can know in faith because guess what? He walked out of the grave. Leaning all we are. So we're, he's thankful for their faith, faith in Christ. Next, he's thankful for their, he says, I'm thankful for your love for the saints. You see, faith in Christ leads to the love of others as we receive and realize the great love of God in Christ for us. Real love is a result of knowing the great love of God. And then faith, according to Paul in Galatians 6, works itself out through what? Through love. Love is a product of faith. And then finally, we see thankfulness in that faith and love are apparent due to their, the hope that they have laid up for them in heaven. See, what's happening here and what Paul's laying forth is that, man, their faith and love are springing forth in light of their future hope. You see, these people were once without hope, and yet because of God's grace through the proclamation of the gospel, they now have hope. A hope that is secure and rests on the truth that in Christ the work is finished. And today, if you're a follower of Jesus, you were at one time without hope, and yet because of Jesus, you now have hope. Not just for your future, but for the, that He pays for the past, that He's with you in the present, which is why you need the gospel as much today as you did yesterday and will tomorrow. But I man, today if you're in this room and you don't know of that hope, guess what? The reality is you have no hope. But what I would implore you to do is turn to Jesus. To cry out to Him who is hope. Who gives life who will give you faith in Him. He, he's something that's worth leaning into. And so, man, as we see, man, Paul, like, as we see the way he responds to this church, again, that he doesn't have, like, he hasn't been there. He knows Epaphras and that's it. But look at how he responds to him. Look at what he's praying for them. And so I, I want to present just a quick question um, that I just want you to think about. Do we express this kind of thankfulness in our praying for one another and in our encouragement to one another? Like when was the last time you thanked God for someone in this room in prayer? I mean, Paul says, man, I continually do it. Not that he's doing it all the time, but as he's praying, like he's reminded of them. He says, man, I thank you for them. But further, like when was the last time you expressed to those people that you're reminded of, thankfulness for their faith, love, and hope. You see, Paul's doing that in prayer, but man, in this letter, he's writing it and expressing it to them. He's not saying, I'm going to keep that to myself. No, he's saying, hey, look, this is how I pray for you. Because man, I, I, I'm encouraged by your faith, I'm encouraged by your love, and I'm encouraged by the hope that you have in Jesus in the midst of the circumstances you're walking in. When was the last time that you did that? That you spent time saying, man, God, I'm thankful for this person. Thankful for their faith, their love, their hope in you. And when's the last time you just went and expressed it to them? 
You see, we need this kind of culture. Not a flattery culture. Because I believe that can, that's, can be sinful, right? We're just trying to flatter. We're not doing that. Like, but that we're genuinely encouragers. I, I think that, you know, in the life of our church, like we're, because of the depth of relationship that I believe that, man, God by His grace has developed here, one of the things that we're pretty good at, like as the longer you, the more you just kind of get involved, is we're pretty good at just kind of giving each other a hard time. Are we not? Yeah, right? Like that's maybe one of my love languages is when people, you know, like, because if, like, if I love you, like I just, like I feel comfortable around you, but, and I don't think that's always bad. I think we can take it too far. And the reason we probably take it too far is because we don't balance it with, hey, this is what I see in you. And I love you. This is how I'm encouraged by you. So we, we see Paul lay this out. But let's continue because this faith, love, and hope that's being shared, Paul, what Paul says, he says, hey, this is nothing new to you guys. He's like, I'm not sharing anything that you don't already know. He says, this is a result and overflow of the gospel that you've already heard. You see, the gospel produces these things. And so in our own lives, may we look at our lives and we say, Jesus, like, Holy Spirit, is there, is faith, love, and hope being expressed in my life? Or am I looking to other things? Am I trying to answer the question, Christ is in another way? See, what I want us to see now is that Paul, in reminding them of the gospel he shares, that is the word of truth, which is what he says, which again is already contrasting with the false teacher who say, hey, it's not fully truth. It's kind of truth, but there's more to be had elsewhere. But what Paul's saying here, what he's preaching is that while he's, he's saying it is enough. You see, the false teachers are saying it's not enough. And in life, either the gospel, which is the good and true story that Jesus has defeated sin, death, and Satan through his life, death, and resurrection. A shorthand way we say that is Jesus stood in your place. It's either that or... It's either that and that's enough or something else must be added. But you see, if something else must be added, and Paul is argument is, then it's not true. What Paul is saying is that this is the the gospel that was heard and received by those in Colossae. He he says, man, this thing that's nothing new to you because it's the same gospel that Epaphras preached to you, uh, he says, man, it's gone into... He says, this is bearing fruit in the entire world, right? Like in all the known world, it's being spoken. It's not a different gospel being spoken there than what you received. It's the same good news. He says, but it's not simply being shared. He says it's bearing fruit. You see, the good news of the gospel is bigger than what we can contain. The good news of the gospel is bigger than sinner church. And that's a good thing, right? Because you're not in Honduras right now proclaiming the gospel, but there are people there, right? Like, you're not in the Ukraine proclaiming the gospel. You're not, you know, you're not in Burton proclaiming the gospel right now.
You see, it's bigger than what we can contain. But guess what? The other part of that, and I think that man, what, what Paul wants us to see is, is that, guess what? We get to participate in the celebration of the fruitful work beyond us, do we not? Like, we get to participate in that. We are a part of the fruit produced, but we have a part to play in the proclamation and expression of this good and true story. Which is why, like we, just, like we talked about last, like we are a people, like we are called to make disciples. But part of that is as we make disciples, something we're passionate about and want to see is we want to plant churches. Which is why we're a part of networks that seek to plant churches, right? We make disciples, and then disciples get together, and a church is established. We see this all throughout the New Testament, right? That's what we want to see. Which is why we partner with Acts 29 and we partner with Redeemer Network. And I think the, just the neat thing is, is today in Acts 29 is Church Planting Sunday. The day where we want to be reminded that that's what we want to be about. We want to plant churches. And so there's these flyers out there. You can grab one on your way out and scan it and get information. There's these as well that talks about what Acts 29 is doing to seek to plant churches. So we're part of Redeemer Network. I've got this awesome graphic this week that since 2008, Redeemer Network, which is a like a Texas-based church planting network we're a part of. We planted 25 churches since 2008. And we're one of those. Like, it's an amazing thing to see. But guess what? Like, we don't want to stop there. Our heart, and man, I'd love for you to pray this with me, is that we would plant a church in Belleville. That we would plant a church in LaGrange. Like, that we would be people, like, because they need gospel-centered, Bible-preaching churches. Because the gospel hasn't changed. It doesn't change from here to Belleville. It's still the good news. And it needs to be shared. And so in light of this, Paul closes out this section of text by stating, he says again, this good news that was proclaimed, that they have believed and have seen the fruit of. He says again, it hasn't changed. It's the same. What Epaphras preached to you is the same gospel. He says that which he shared with you, that you, again, you learned. He didn't just speak some words. He said, no, you learned. Like you were brought into something and you learned about it so that you might share it. So that's the faith, the love, and the hope that, man, we're thankful for. In the midst of what you're dealing with. And so with this prayer of thanksgiving laid before us, let's continue because he he begins to articulate and kind of, uh, man, expand upon Specifically what he's praying for him in light of their circumstance. Let's read verses 9-14. through 14. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Alright, so in light of their faith and love which has been established in light of the Gospel's fruit in their lives, Paul shares, he says, look, we continually pray for this group of believers, and then he lays out the content of his prayers. 
These marks of faith working through love that are established in hope. And so first he says, man, we pray that you would be filled with the knowledge of the will of God. Again, remember the threat of the false teachers. They are proclaiming that Jesus is not enough, but that more knowledge is to be added if they are to understand and really know God. And so Paul prays that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. The term of knowledge that Paul actually uses there, it's not simple scientific head knowledge. He's saying, no, I want you to know the, have the full knowledge of the Gospel, the full knowledge of God's will. It's not book knowledge, not trivia night knowledge, not Bible champ knowledge. It's a knowledge that's full and founded as a result of, again, being in Christ and knowing God's will. Peter O'Brien to this point says that heretical knowledge was speculative and theoretical while the knowledge Paul prays for concerns the very will of God. Full knowledge, Paul argues, is found in knowing the will of God. Guess what? That only comes by knowing the knowing of God. So how do we know God? Well, one of the, like, we have His Word. But man, we... If you're a follower of Jesus, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the living God resides inside of you. So we cry out that He would illuminate His Word so that we would know, God, what's Your will? Because again, like the reason we need that is because, man, everywhere around, like you open your phone, you turn on your TV, you turn on the radio, like... Everything is just going to be sending. No, this is knowledge. This is knowledge. This is what you need to know. This is how you be, you know, the 10 best steps to be whatever you want to be, right? But no, we are to be a people that say, hey, you know, we, we, we want to know the knowledge of the will of God. We don't want to be tossed to and fro by every thing that comes our way. And so what's the purpose of this knowledge? Again, the purpose is that we would know God's will so that, look what he says next, so that you might walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. You see, in Hebrew culture, and I think we even kind of have our own saying for this, but in Hebrew culture, uh, when talking of knowledge, especially in terms of the will of God, knowledge was deeply connected to one's conduct or living. You, You don't just know about it, you be about it, right? You don't just talk about it, you live it out. What this means in light of Paul's prayer and exhortation is that you can't really claim to know something unless you respond with obedient action towards what you claim to know. Two two quick examples. One, like in, in my marriage with Haley, like I, I like I love Haley, but one of the ways I express that love to Haley is through action, right? I believe it's actually both, like I express it with my words, but also I express it with my deeds, right? So maybe like for your spouse, like maybe you're a really good words person, but you're not a very good deeds person in terms of loving them. Maybe it's the opposite way. Maybe you do a whole lot, but you never tell your spouse you love them. Let, let's move back. Like, man, if your spouse is a follower of Jesus, like the first person you should be thankful for and praying to God for, for their faith, hope, and love is for your spouse. And then you should tell them about that. Even as the church, we will be known by what? 
will be known by our love for one another. And I believe that, that we have to have both this, this idea of like, man, what we know also man, expresses itself in this action of, man, this is the way we're going to live. And you have to have both to be healthy. I think at times, though, we have a lot of action people who are just acting and know nothing about the Word. And we have a lot of no people, people that know a lot and you have no loving action. You see, the gospel, when known, produces the fruit of the gospel, which is righteous living. It's not, I'm going to be righteous and then I'll be saved. No, it's in light of what Jesus has done. I'm going to live a life that looks different. It's a response to Christ's righteousness. Which is what I love. Like in the gospel, in Jesus, like you see at times, He heals people. And what does He tell them? He says, go away and sin no more, Right? Which you're like, I don't know, that's going to work, right? Like, because I know me, and I'm going to struggle with that. Wait, what, no, what he's saying, he's saying, go live differently. In light of what's happened to you, go live differently. Say no more, turn from your sin daily. And live differently. And so today, where do you find yourself? A lot of knowing and a little expressive love or a lot of doing with little knowledge of the why behind it? I think if we're going to wrestle with this thing, like Paul really gives us an easy way to answer the question in the text because he says a worthy walk is, the walk is to be what? To be pleasing to God. And then what we know is that the act of being, what's pleasing to God is that we would choose His will over the will, comfort, and selfish tendencies of our own will. So today, am I walking in this manner? Are you walking in this manner? Today, where's your heart? Is it for your will or for God's will? Oh, that we would express the will of God in not just what we know, but in how we act. He says, in light of this, that you would be strengthened with all power. So in light of this call to walk in a manner worthy of our calling that overflows with the fruit of knowing and submitting to the will of God over self, Paul asks, he says, man, he asks to those to whom he writes, he says, man, I want you to be strengthened with all power. You see, do you realize that we cannot do what we've been called to do as followers of Jesus in and of ourselves? Jesus didn't say, hey, I saved you, now good luck. What do we see last week in Matthew 28? He has all authority, but He's always with us. His presence is always with us. That empowers us to go by His strength, by His power. Our ability to do anything is in Christ and not self. And it says that this power is this power that produces an endurance that leads us to stand firm against whatever we face, be it false teaching, suffering, even loss, because greater is He who is in us than He who is in the world. I love this picture of endurance and patience here. See, because along with endurance, 
we can be patient and not and trust not simply the work of God, but we can also trust in the timing of God. I read a quote this morning from my buddy who's a pastor in Houston. He said this about endurance. I thought it was a guy named Matt. He said, The Christian life is made distinct more by what we are willing to endure than what we're willing to attack. And I was just like, oh man. Like, the Christian life is made distinct more by what we are willing to endure than what we are willing to attack. But you know why we are willing to endure? Because we have a greater hope. The world around, like, and yet what happens is the world around us, they're attacking everything. And at times we're not much different. We would rather attack than endure. Because we don't have our hope set on a future hope of, of God's glory. So we can endure, but also we can be patient. We can be patient not simply in the work of God, but in the timing of God. And what that, I believe we can be patient, like, we can be patient with God, but we can be patient with ourselves. How many of you, like, you just need to be a little more patient with yourself? Some I know about Haley, like, Haley, like, the reason she's just such a wonderful part of my life is, like, regularly she'll say, hey, Kyle, I, need you, I think you need to just be a little more patient with yourself. Which, like, strikes me at the beginning, like, what are you talking about? But then I realize, like, no, I'm just really, really hard on myself. She's just like, hey, you need to be patient with yourself. Yeah, are there things you need to work on? Yes, but be patient with yourself. Because God is patient with you. Not only do we need to be patient with ourselves, again, we need to be patient with others. Like part of that enduring as a follower of Jesus and part of that patience as a follower of Jesus is why don't we be a little more patient with lost people for doing lost people things? Guess what? You were... If you're a follower of Jesus, you run with a lost person, you do a lot of lost people things. I mean, there are even times like daily, like you still struggle and you step in that lost stuff pretty, you know, pretty heavily, right? And yet, God is patient with you. And yet, we look at the world around us and we're like, oh, how dare them. Cancel them all. All my subscriptions are gone, right? Instead of having faith and love and hope and proclaiming that, people that need it. Because guess what? Epaphras claimed it to the church in Colossae. Hey man, God did a mighty work and He's called us to go and do that as well. So let's have a little more patience. And then in that, like, look, just look at the patience. He, he says you would have patience with joy. Which I need because man, my patience is often nervous and begrudging. And I'm just looking at that clock. And so that leads us to the last part, which is that they would walk in joyful thanksgiving towards God. Paul closes out this section before jumping into the meat of Christ's supremacy that Jeremy's going to walk through next week by stating that through everything, we are to be a people who walk in joyful thanksgiving. You see, what Paul understands and what he's trying to express is that if God's people, which again includes us, are going to live into a full knowledge of the will of God that expresses itself in good works and worthy lives in the midst of a world that is constantly barraging us with false narratives, with false teachers, and gospels that are false, we can't do it without being a people of joyful thanksgiving towards God. 
And, and the reason we can have joyful thanksgiving, what Paul says, he says, because God qualifies you. Which means God says, no, you're secure in Christ. When he looks at you, he sees his son. The finished work of Jesus. But it also says, he says, he's delivered you from the domain. That word domain is actually, it also be translated tyranny of darkness. And you've been, you've been brought out of that. And you, he says, you've been transferred to Christ's kingdom. Therefore, if we have been delivered and transferred into a kingdom that is not of this world, we, in the face of whatever comes our way, can walk in the full knowledge of the gospel. That we are known and are loved by God, and so we can live in light of that, which leads us to both greater knowledge as well as greater action towards one another in the world around us. You see, because guess what? Jesus Christ is the standard, but Christ is also the Savior. Christ is enough. Christ is sufficient. Christ is our strength. Christ is worth knowing, not only knowing about, but He is worth living for. That's who Christ is. And so I'm going to invite you to just sit in the reality of who Christ is today. I have the team come back up. Man, I want to invite you into that. Man, as you think about just Paul's words of grace and peace, as you think about his thankfulness and think about, man, what Jesus has done for you, but also, man, spend time, like even today, praying for others. You're like, man, I'm just encouraged by their faith, love, and hope. And man, don't just pray for them, like, go and tell them that. I say, God, I want to live in a manner that's worthy of your calling, but I know the only that happens is I learn, like, I want to have the full knowledge of you, and I want to submit to your will over my own. May we be a people that endure in the face of everything, because we have a greater hope. And we have patience for ourselves and others. Even the broken world around us, because we've been called not to separate ourselves, but to, but to be in the world, but not of it. To go into it and proclaim good news. And so I'm going to invite you into that, uh, to celebrate that today, but also, as we, even as we leave, to live that kind of life. But today also, I'm going to invite you, if you don't know Jesus, if you don't have that hope, and come talk to me today. I'd love to talk to you about what the hope of Jesus looks like. You're like, hey, I don't know how to answer that question Christ is. Or maybe it's like, there's a lot of baggage connected to that. Let's talk. So I want to invite you to those things, but also I want to invite you to, man, another act of remembering who Christ is and the sharing of communion. Each week we share in that so that we remember, man, what Jesus has done for us. That He stood in our place. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, I invite you to come and share to take the bread and you can take a cup of juice or dip it in the juice and, and just go. But And you do that in remembrance of what Jesus has done, that the work is finished. You have faith in Him. You have hope in Him. And because of His love, you know your love, but you can go love others. So I invite you to do that. If you're not a follower of Jesus, we ask that you not come and partake because, man, we believe, uh, man, this is a costly thing that we remember. We don't take it lightly. And then what we're going to do after a, a, a couple, of, a minute or two, Brett's going to lead us in worship and we're going to celebrate and proclaim 
again, the reality of who Jesus is. Of God's great love for us. And so God, I pray now that, that we would have a, a, a bigger picture of who Your Son is. Or that You would even begin to just reveal Yourself. God, that we would dig into Your Word. That we would cry out. Uh, that we would turn from uh, man false narratives and false teaching to the truth of who You are. God, may we be proclaimers of who You are as well. Lord, give us endurance. Give us patience. We thank You for Your Son that came and was what we could not be. So that we might have life. We might have faith. We might know love. And that we might hope in this finished work. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.